Let's go to John chapter 15. This is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, there are times I will, God will give me permission or it'll seem appropriate to construct a sermon for whatever holiday our nation is uh, celebrating. It doesn't always fit. Sometimes the Lord is able to take our natural celebrations and be able to communicate whatever message or truth he wants to through it. This is our Memorial Day weekend where we celebrate the war dead, those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be a free nation. Uh, thankfully, in my lifetime, we have always been very honorable towards the military. I was born in 76, so I did not see the horrendous dishonor for the Vietnam vets coming home from an unfavored war that uh, both Democrats and Republicans promoted. And you know the stories if you know your history. They were spat upon, blood thrown on them, ridiculed, treated poorly. That was when the hippie hemorrhoid flared up in America and everybody was a peace-loving beatnik, not realizing we were trying to stop communism everywhere. And it cost us 55, 58,000 young men there in Southeast Asia. I think the nation repented of that egregious dishonor, and we've never really shown that since. Of course, we haven't had any major war like Vietnam, even the Iraq conflict in Afghanistan that lasted nearly 20 years. We didn't come anywhere near as many casualties. Uh, so this is the weekend we celebrate those who died and uh, to keep us free. And honestly, I don't think any other nation has shed more of its national blood on foreign soil to help other people. So I want you to know we totally reject this Marxist communist idea that America is a colonial power because we hadn't had colonies in a long time. In fact, we fought to not be a colony anymore. In fact, what we do as a nation is we go build other nations and give them our money to help them stop being dumb over there. And then we also give them our blood and the lives of our young men. So for any modern generation to ridicule it, dishonor it, I, I really have no respect I know they were poorly parented and even worse, worsely, which is not a word, educated. I am a product of public school, so that's why I use words like worsely. And I was public educated in East Tennessee, so I make up words like worsely. Worsely is next to waspers in your Chester drawers. <laughs> but we celebrate the war dead because they did. They went, marched off. And they marched off knowing they may not return. And yet they did it at the command of their commander-in-chief and under the orders of their generals and captains, etc. And John 15, 13, let me read this verse, and then I want to tie this into a bigger message this morning. Some people don't like it when you wax patriotic, but I think you ought to be proud of every nation you come from because it's where God had you born. That may not be everything being worth being proud over. I, I'm sure folks who are in communist regimes aren't proud of their dictator, but there's a culture to maybe be proud of and a food and a tradition that maybe they can take some healthy, uh, honorable pride in. But uh, I don't mind to be patriotic. I still am. I love my nation. I don't like my government. Uh, I love my nation. I hate our culture. But we're still the greatest nation on the planet. You can still come here and be anything. You can still come here, get an education. I'll probably end up paying for it and become greater than me. Amen. And honestly, the outsiders who come in do better than those that were home-raised because they know how to tap into the hard uh, soil that is here to grow great things, and they're able to do the hard work. And those of us that are kind of here taking it for granted, we just kind of 
meagerly exist and complain about those who are coming in. I'm all for legal immigration. Legal, that means legal. Like I get in trouble if I do things illegal. I don't think there's anything honorable about being illegal, but I'm all for legal immigration. And I do, I get a little irritated when folks who want to do it properly, it's so much more difficult. We're still trying to get in some of our Congolese friends on a religious work visa. And the hoops that we've had to work through, we still don't have it resolved. Danielle's done a lot of research, talked with lawyers. I told Jean-Paul, or Jean-Marie, I said, it's probably better you go to Mexico and just walk across. <laughs> I told him that. You're probably better off flying to Oaxaca, try to walk up, and just, just walk across because it'd be better for you. And they're trying to escape real persecution. They are Congolese, so living in South Africa, which means there's this thing called xenophobia, that even though they're black, they're not the right kind of black. And so South Africans, um, whether they're Zulu or Sutu or Kosa or whatever, they don't like any black that's not South African, even though those are different tribes. So if you're a Zim, Congolese, Nigerian, Zambian, you're, you're liable to be murdered in the street. I've watched videos of them set people on fire in the last three or four years. I've watched videos of young men be burned alive in the streets of Johannesburg because they were the wrong black. So that's real persecution. And even though his kids all speak all the fluent dialects and languages of South Africa, they're not accepted because they're the wrong kind of African. Blows our mind as Southerners when we compartmentalize it black-white issues. Anyway, uh, I'm happy that we are flourishing here and that we still have a great nation. We're not a perfect nation. We got issues, but that's why we keep preaching the gospel and trying to raise up better citizens. So John 15, 13, coming back to Memorial Day. Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. The reason we celebrate Memorial Day is to pay honor to those who fulfilled this verse. Now, I'm sure there were soldiers who did not want to die. I'm sure there were soldiers who were terrified. I'm going off to Vietnam and I may not come home. Dr. Barclay tells a story. He had his favorite... Uh, uh, 22 rifle that when he came home from Vietnam, Dr. Barclay served two tours in Vietnam. When he came home from Vietnam, he wanted his rifle and his brother said, well, it's gone. And he said, well, what'd you do with it? He said, I traded it for a case of beer. He said, that's my rifle. He said, we didn't think you were coming home. That was the culture of Vietnam. We didn't think you were coming home, so you weren't going to need it again. So he said, my brother traded my favorite rifle for a case of beer. <laughs> anyway, no greater love than you lay down your life. Some are happy to lay down their life, and I'm sure in a firefight, they don't think about anything but just killing the enemy. And if they die, I don't know if there's a fear there. I'm sure there is, but I'm, I'm sure there's a, 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 an ego, there's a, a machismo, there's an adrenaline. We stop and honor the war fallen because Jesus Christ said it's a demonstration of the greatest love possible. Now, we know in application he's talking about what he's about to do, for mankind, but we still honor those that lay down their life. We honor police, even though it's not popular right now. We honor police because they go on patrol every day, leaving a wife and kids or a husband and children at home, and they just want to come home off shift. They don't want any issues. I, I get to work with the police now. I can't speak for every police department in the country, but our officers, they just want to go home at the end of their shift. They're like you and me. They, they, a lot of them are younger. They joke about playing Halo online with each other or Call of Duty. They, they go and do fun stuff. They're just people, but they lay down their life too. It's honorable to praise and pay respect for those who lay down their life. 
But this brings us to the bigger subject of honor. Honor, let me give you a definition of honor. It's assigning a value and worth towards something. To honor something means you assign a value and a worth, and you demonstrate that you have assigned that value and worth towards an individual, an event, Memorial Day, or an item like the pulpit, or maybe a holy relic. Pagans venerate trees and other weird things, and and we don't. Uh, The Japanese, they venerate Mount Fuji, not as a deity, but they call Fuji, Fujiyama-san, which means like the venerable Mr. Fuji, (laughs) Fuji, Mount Fuji. So even they show respect towards a mountain by how they call it. We call it Mount Fuji. They call it Fuji-san or Mr. Fuji, which I think is humorous, but I get them saying it culturally. You and I have an honor system in our lives that's been taught. All honor is taught. All honor is taught by people we look up to. The problem and the thing I want to evaluate this morning is I want us to be able to evaluate our honor system, our honor code, and see maybe what things need to be adjusted. Our nation is rapidly changing our honor system or what we value value system, if you call it that. We don't all honor everything the same. And even as an adult, you'll learn to honor things and dishonor things as you get to know it. Knowledge brings about a value to honor or knowledge brings about a desire to dishonor. The bigger picture, and I have taught these kind of messages a lot, but it's worth repeating. We need to make sure as Christians, we honor what God honors and we dishonor what God dishonors. And God does dishonor things just like God does hate things. We need to make sure as Christians we love what God loves and we hate what God hates. Here we see there's an honor to be paid toward a man who lays down his life. We ought to respect first responders who rush into fires and rush into school shootings and rush into criminal events. We ought to respect them. You know, a couple, like a month or two ago when the cops killed the shooter in Nashville, and all of a sudden, now everybody loves cops again. And they, everybody praised them for going in there and shooting that uh, person, woman, in the back, folding her like a cheap sack of laundry after she'd murdered people. Everybody was praising cops again. And I happened to be at the police station. And I said, hey, everybody loves you guys. I was talking to one of the high-ranking officers. He said, yeah, we're cool again. <laughs> he said, don't worry, it'll pass. He said, we're cool again. It'll pass. It's the nature of the business. We're heroes again. It won't last long. It's the nature of the fickleness of man's soul. We need to make sure we honor what God honors. We love what God loves. We hate what God hates. And we dishonor and show no respect towards those things God dishonors and disrespects. So like case in point, uh, it becomes very, it's a good catch question for politicians, would you go to a gay wedding? The biblical answer is absolutely not. I cannot show honor or celebration for something my God does not honor or celebrate. I show my allegiance by what I attend and what I wave a flag for. But at the same time, there are those who would gladly and happily go to a gay marriage because their heart wants to honor that. The question is, Are we judging our honor system based on the word of God or are we letting social media and culture teach us what to honor? You have to know what honor is and then know where to apply it to be successful in this equation. 
Another example is we stand when famous people or honorable people come in. If one of our politicians walked in and we knew who it was, we might stand. If President Biden visited us, whether we voted for him or not, whether he could shuffle to the pulpit or not, we would still stand to honor our president. We would stand to honor Trump. We would stand to honor Obama. Whoever you liked or didn't like, that's the president. Even though you may not agree with their politics or who they are or what they stand for, they still walk in the office of the greatest seat in the land. I've never been in the presence of a president. I've been around some of our senators. Uh, I have to imagine that even with the president, there's there's an air of greatness because they come, pardon the word, anointed for our nation. It doesn't mean they're good. Doesn't mean they're doing a good job of it, but even Jesus said, go show the sacrifice of Moses to the Pharisees and do what they tell you to do because they sit in the seat of Moses. These were the same guys that were about to kill Jesus. Jesus is saying, honor them because they sit in the seat of Moses. So I want to talk about this concept that honor is caught. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter five. We're going to jump around and look at a bunch of scriptures. I may be all over the place, but the overall theme this morning is going to be honor. Ephesians chapter 6. I said 5. Ephesians chapter 6. Honor is taught from the very beginning of our life. And every culture communicates honor. Some, some cultures communicate honor way better than Americans do. I have privileged to go to Africa a lot. Africa still has a very tribal culture. That's their DNA. They know how to respect the father of their home. They know how to respect the elder of the village or the chief of the tribe. They, they have it. Sometimes it comes back and bites them in the rear end concerning politics. It feeds a lot of corruption in Africa, the places I've been. I haven't been everywhere. I've been in about six countries in Africa. The, 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 way, the reason their honor feeds corruption in Africa, at least by my experiences, because I've been taken advantage of, is the, the, uh, the tribal mindset is that if you and I are of the same tribe, we share all things. Therefore, let's say Ben and I are the same tribe, and this is an old, old, old mindset. There's an honor that says, you are me and I am you. We are one, and if you have need, I should give to you, and if I have need, you should give to me. That's biblical for the kingdom. Where it comes into corruption is that if I become a politician, and let's say I'm of the McMichael tribe, and Ben's of the McMichael tribe, there is an obligation based on my honor system to give Ben whatever he has need of because we're of the same tribe. But the problem is it's not mine to give tribally. It's the government's. But that mindset of honoring a fellow tribesman will feed corruption so that even though it's the government's money, he's a fellow tribesman and he needs it. The way I've been taken advantage of and I've learned to watch out is we we were funding a conference in East Africa. And again, their honor system is if we're of the same tribe, we are responsible. That's tribal mindset. That's we rise and fall together. We take care of our own. So the host pastor that we were working with is of a certain tribe in Eastern Africa, and he was needing money for this conference. Well, hey, I'm obligated to pay for the conference. We're hosting it. I'll pay for it. So we keep sending chunks of money. He keeps saying, I need more. We send him more. I need more. We send him more. Where's all this money going? I just spent enough money to do an American conference. So we finally get over there, and I tell my travel partner, I said, something's not right here, and I am not happy because I'm not wasting my God's money. Figure out what happened. So we figure out what happened is people in the tribe, in the village, got word that this bishop came into a bunch of money. And according to tribal rules, again, that's their honor code. If I need it and you have it, I can go to you to ask for it. And he's under the obligation, if I have it and you need it, I have to give it to you. 
So we heard this. And he wasn't trying to embezzle money. He just had a really broken, dysfunctional culture. So I told him, I said, that was not your money to give away. That was me and this other minister's money. And you have now lied and stolen from me and my God to fulfill a corrupt obligation. And I've since said, I'm not ever helping you again. I'm not going back. I'm not putting any more money in you. There has to be recourse for corruption. Now, he doesn't see it that way. He sees it as fulfilling an ingrained culture. His heart sees it as this is what I have to do. I see it as you're stealing from me and you're being dishonest. So now we're both Christians. We're both spirit-filled. We're both born again. We're both pastors. I see it as an egregious sin. You see it as a necessary obligation. That's the wickedness of cultural honor. That's why we bring everything back to the scriptures because even what you and I honor as Americans may not be acceptable from God. And this is also why Pastor Aquoco taught us God cares nothing about your home culture. He cares nothing about American culture. He cares nothing about Nigerian culture. He was Nigerian. European culture, South American culture. God has given us the kingdom culture. So we have to judge everything by his culture. And we reset and constantly reset our value system based on the word of God because our culture could skew things and every culture will. There are great things in every culture and wicked and perverse things in every culture. And the Christian must be sharp enough to discern good from evil. And just because granny taught you doesn't mean it was good. Just because pappy taught you don't mean it was honorable. And the problem is because culture begins at home, and we're going to look at it here in Ephesians 6. Because culture begins at home, it's all you know, so it's normal to you. It's all you know, so it's normal to you. But that doesn't mean it's right. That's why we keep learning and keep studying, and we get around other cultures to see what the cross the cross filter of God's word is I love the honor of getting to travel for God's kingdom because I can go into churches and quickly recognize that's local, that's kingdom, that's tribal, that's kingdom. And I get to come back and cross examine us and say, this is cookful. This is kingdom. This is tradition. This is kingdom. This is the South. This is kingdom. This is word of faith. This is kingdom. It helps us to actually eliminate unnecessary things that we just assume are God because it's all we've done. And that's not always the case. It's not always right. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. Do you see that the first commandment given towards humans is a commandment of honor? That's how powerful and important this is. The very first commandment given towards fellow mankind in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Divine Words, Ten expressions. They're not all commandments. The first one is know that the Lord is God. The very first commandment given towards fellow man is honor. So honor ought to define us as believers. And furthermore, it must be honor your father and mother. These are the very first neighbors you have. Whether you're adopted or birthed into that family, the first commandment is honor. But it also instantly implies that parents must teach children to honor the father first and the mother second. There is a binary and there is a hierarchy. There's no such thing as a non-binary equity. I mean, you can believe that, but now you're into a false metric of honor. There is a binary father first and mother. Okay. 
This is the first commandment with promise. So that also teaches us as mom and dads that we need to teach our children, number one, to honor us. We do that inherently. People all over the world teach it that way. That's your mother. Don't talk to her that way. You, you come to me when I call you. You say, yes, sir. You say, no, ma'am, or whatever the, the honorable thing is to do. Most cultures get it. The American culture has really been flushing this down the toilet for the last 30 years. So we teach our kids they have a say. And we teach our kids that they are equal. We teach our kids, though we created them, they can boss us around. That's unacceptable. That violates the first commandment with promise. But it also shows you that honor is the instruction that takes place at home. This teaches us that most of our value system comes from mom and dad. My kids love soccer and outdoor stuff because we love soccer and outdoor stuff. We've never exposed them. Well, in gymnastics, we're, at, we're a very athletic family, so my kids are very athletic. Uh, everything that we enjoy, our kids have learned to enjoy it. Some of your kids don't enjoy what my kids enjoy because you don't enjoy what we enjoy as a family. The value system has shifted. We grew up in Seattle. Snow skiing was part of our culture. My, my school had a ski team. We skied two and three times a week. It was nothing to get out of school, with, go to school with skis on your roof or your snowboard in the back. And we had four-wheel drives, whether it was Broncos or Blazers or Subarus or four-wheel drive trucks because we were headed up to the pass because that was our culture. My kids will never know anything of that. I worked to buy lift tickets. That was the whole reason I had a job because skiing is an expensive sport. And when you're a high school kid and you're going skiing every Friday and Saturday and lift tickets 30 years ago were $35 or $40 for an evening pass, a lot of babysitting working there at the uh, vegetable farm to get that money. Plus, you got to get the new skis when they come out. And snow boots back then, ski boots were 500 bucks back in the 90s. That's a lot of money for a teenage kid to be dropping on their hobby. Kids will pick up your honor. So what do you honor? Your kids are going to honor it. What do you dishonor? Your kids are going to dishonor. There ought to be an honor for the word of God, an honor for the house of God, an honor for the people of God. Marxism understands that if you want to control kids, you must eliminate the top-down influence of the father. Consequently, any fatherless society, any fatherless culture, any fatherless generation will be easily pip, uh, pillaged for any political agenda. Fatherless cultures don't exist very long. Fatherless cultures are easily molded into something different. Because the father is the most influential course setter and honor teacher there is. Every kid wants to be just like their dad. Every kid looks up to their father because the father's supposed to be bigger than life. And that's why we as parents must be students of the word, allowing God's word to wash us of any American culture, any Southern culture, any white culture, any black culture, any African culture, any Latino culture that is not biblical. We cannot be prejudiced when it comes to what is unacceptable in our culture. We have to have eyes open that says, this, this is just too white. This is like too African. This is too black. This is too Hispanic. This is not kingdom. This is culture. Because God has given us his culture. We want to make sure our kids are first and foremost Christian citizens, not cookful citizens. But if you'll be a good cookful, a Christian kingdom citizen, you'll be a great cookful citizen. If you'll be a great kingdom citizen, you'll be a great Tennessee citizen. If you'll be a great kingdom citizen, you can be a great African citizen. Because Christians make for the best citizens because we submit to a God who holds us accountable. We're not like the morons who think they are a God. Amen. 
So this culture of honor begins at home. What are we teaching our kids to honor? This is also why social media is such a powerful force for social reforms. Because when children have smartphones and social devices, they're being parented by AI and social agendas. And if, if you are foolish enough to give your preteen a, a social media device, you cease to be their parent. If you have been foolish enough to give your preteen or even your teen social media access, you just divorced yourself from the responsibility of parenting. Because when they'll spend five hours a day on this and chatting with people, you're no longer the influence of their life. And they will take on the mores, the values of social media. Their honor will be for whatever is here, whatever is pumped to them on their feed. And the algorithm is now the parent. You have now entered into I don't know what you, transnocracy, trans-technocracy. You have now, you no longer identify as their parent. Their new surrogate is an algorithm who wants to move their child, your child, into an agenda of voting for the next weirdo. That's how it works. It's propaganda. Started with the Nazi youth. You get all the young people. You kind of brainwash their mind in public education, and they'll march for you. How did, how did Hitler develop a whole army that would butcher minorities? Well, you start them when they're younger, in the late 1930s, and you get them as preteens so that by the time they're 17, seven years later, it's time to go to war, and they've already been indoctrinated. Come on, this is simple psychology. And it still goes on today. It's just way more fine-tuned. All right. Go to First Peter. I'll prove to you once again that the responsibility of teaching honor begins with the Father. First Peter chapter 3. Honor begins with mom and dad, and honor begins with dad honoring mother. If dad doesn't honor mom, kids won't honor mom. If dad doesn't honor mom, kids won't honor mom. If dad yells at mom, cusses mom, flips mom off, yells at her, puts her down, denigrates her, kids are going to grow up to have no respect. So that young man is going to grow up looking for white trash to marry. He's going to grow up thinking all women are blank, whatever. But if dad can honor mom and say, you're, that your woman is a gift. Your mom is a gift from God. Your woman is a daughter. Your mother is a daughter of God. Your mother's going to be obeyed. She's full of grace. We're going to rise up and call her blessed. We're going to take care of her. She does not exist to wait on you, son. And she will take care of you, but she does not exist. She is not our slave in this household. She is not our handmaiden. She is our, your mother and my wife, my best friend, my lover. So you mistreat her, you'll wake up in next week, son. I said it in Sunday school, but it's worth repeating again. One of my friends, his boys were mouthing off to his wife, their mother. said, boy, I made you and I will make another. You mistreat my girl like that again, I'll just replace you. He meant it too. He has a couple black belts and a different couple martial arts. He was so intense, they used to run uh, home invasion drills. That's intense. That's a little too much for me. He had the whole family drilled. They, he would blow the whistle, and they'd flip mattresses up, barricade, grab the weapons. I thought, man, that's, that's a little too much for me. That seems a little intense. So when that's your dad, and he looks at you and says, I will replace you, and you've been running like home invasion drills for six years, you know he will. I'm digging that bunker. You're going to be in the basement, like the concrete part. <laughs> First Peter 3, 7, husbands. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor. The Bible commands us as men to give honor to our women. You can't divorce a woman you honor. You'll never divorce a woman you honor. 
Now, she may go crazy, and that does happen, so I don't mean to, to distinct, uh, belittle that, but no man obeying Scripture will divorce his wife, who he honors. The Bible commands us to give honor unto our wife. And here the verse tells us the two measures with which to honor her. We give her honor, number one, as the weaker vessel. Amen. Amen. You give women, your wife, honor because she is a weaker vessel, which means she's going to need your help more. But also you give her honor as being heirs together the grace of life. So in one regard, she's not equal. In the other regard, she's very equal. Concerning biology, she's not equal. I mean, we get that. I mean, good Lord. The fact that we're even having to debate this shows you the effectiveness of social media in the last 10 years. But spiritually, our wives are dead equal with us, co-equal in Christ with us. So we give her honor because she's our equal. If our children see us demonstrating that honor towards our wives, our boys will grow up looking for a woman just like mama. Oh, good enough for daddy. I got to have a woman just like mama. And our daughters will grow up saying, if I like mama, I'm going to get to marry a man just like my daddy. If, I, if boy, daddy loves mama so much, if I could be more like mama, I could land a man just as good as my daddy. This, however, is not the American experience because boys grow up, if at all, maybe, kind of grow up, and they go weird, and girls grow up hating their mom or their dad and wanting to marry somebody totally opposite. I don't want to be anything like my mother, and I don't want to marry anybody like my dad. That shows there's a breakdown of honor, biblical honor in the household. But we see that honor begins, the, the construct of honor, the value system of honor begins in our homes. If we pray for the pastor in our homes, the children honor the pastor. If we run down the pastor in our homes, our kids won't trust the pastor. And that doesn't hurt the pastor, it hurts the kids. If we pray for the president, our kids will have respect for our country. If we pray for police, our kids will have respect for police. Now, again, I get to work as a chaplain. My kids are so excited to see cops everywhere because anytime I see them, I pull over and chat them up. The kids are usually with me. My kids are excited. It's not just because they're white. Anytime we see cops, Daddy, you know them? We were in Walmart last night. It's an all good. My kids don't understand precincts or cities. We walk past this one cop. Bud Bud says, do you know that one? And the cop turned and looked at me like, like I get arrested a lot or something. You know that one? I said, no, sweetie, he's an all good officer. I don't know any all good officers. Oh, and anytime we drive past officers, they're going, hey, there's one. Can we go talk to them? Because my kids, I'm instilling in my kids a respect for police. Should they ever be pulled over? And I'm sure one might one day for speeding. They'll be able to say, hey, license registration. My daddy used to be a chaplain to you guys. I don't think it's going to help me now, but can I pray for you? We pray for you all the time. You're not going to get shot saying, we pray for you guys all the time. I think it's pretty simple. Honor is one of those things that you sow it and you reap it. Sow dishonor, your life will reap it. We ought to be honorable people. From the time we're born, mom and dad are teaching us to honor all powers and authorities that be. Look at, actually go back to chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 17. Here's another verse about honor. It says, honor all men. Ugh. Ugh, I don't like that verse because I don't want to honor everybody. So there has to be an explanation. So we honor porn stars. It doesn't say honor porn stars. It says honor people. So we honor people because they're human beings made in the image of likeness. We don't honor what they do necessarily. We don't honor who they are. 
but we honor them for how God created them in his image and likeness. So when it says honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, we also understand you honor all people differently than you would honor the king. We, it's inherent. It's in, intuitive. So then we have to figure out how do we honor all people because we don't honor all people like we would the president. We don't honor all people like we would the Reverend Billy Graham. We don't honor all people like we would the district bishop. We don't honor a homeless person like we would the president of the United States. But the homeless person still deserves a measure of honor. We know that person deserves honor because God Almighty honored them with the blood of Christ setting the baseline value system for every human being. And so though it's very easy to turn up your nose, cringe, lock your doors, roll your window up, roll your eyes in disgust, you still have to, in your heart, look at that person, maybe a panhandler, uh, maybe somebody who's passed out on drugs or drunk, and still have to let your heart at least be reminded Jesus Christ died for that individual, demonstrating to me the value he sees for their life. And I must at least honor them as worthy of the blood of the Lamb. Or maybe we wouldn't say worthy, but has been given the blood of the Lamb. Not that any of us were ever worthy to be died for. So that's the baseline. And that can be very difficult when we play favorites. But if you can see everybody through the spectrum of Christ's blood, through the veil of Christ's blood, it'll, it'll cause you to pause and treat them just a little bit differently. That doesn't mean you open up your homes to weirdos. Some people we would be honored to have over for dinner. Other people we would be a fool to have them over for dinner. Some people you can't wait to open the door for and say, come on in. Others you look through the peephole or the ring camera and say, "Uh, we're not here. Please go away. Police have been contacted. We're friends with them. You should know that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not talking about be dumb. But at the same time, even if there's some weirdo at your door, Lord Jesus, may they be born again. If they got a devil, may it be cast out. Let them be saved. Lord, let them find a church. If they need to be arrested, let them get saved to the jail ministry. You can at least pray the base value of their life. And you have to teach kids that too. Kids capture our value system, which is why Marxism teaches, remove the father's top-down influence and the kids will be yours. Nobody should have more influence in a kid's life than their daddy which is why fatherless cultures implode on themselves. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a grace for a single mom to raise a boy or a girl to be honorable and great, but it will be the grace of God. But it also doesn't mean you should hurry up and get remarried just to put a man in there because you don't want to do that either. That could be worse than the guy you got rid of. But we want to make sure we are learning honor and that we glorify God. Now, here's the big issue we're facing. Actually, go to Malachi, and then we'll go to the big issue we're facing, and hopefully you're learning something here, because there's lots we have to say on this. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. We need to teach our kids to honor God, teach our kids to honor the Bible, teach our kids to honor authority, teach our kids to honor those that have earned respect, teach our kids who people are and and why they are and and, and teach our kids who to stand up to and honor and who to sit down for. And uh, you even have to teach your kids who not to honor. Son, quit giving that kid your school money. That's a bully. We don't honor them. We have to teach dishonor just as much as we have to teach honor. We have to teach the value system of the kingdom and to some degree the value system of our culture. Uh, I'm thinking of Paul 
when he was on trial in Acts 21, 22, he, he, somebody says, uh, somebody smacks him, slaps him across the face. And Paul says, you whited wall, you, you command me, you, you, you try me in line with the law of Moses and you smite me in contra, contradiction to the law of Moses. Basically saying, you're a hypocrite. I'm on trial according to the law of Moses, and you just violated the law of Moses for having me struck without any charges, which violates uh, Levitical law or Mosaic law. And so then the guy says, how dare you insult the high priest of your people? And Paul instantly repents because he he didn't realize who he was talking to. His attitude instantly changed from being a theological debater, calling out hypocrisy, to realizing he now outranks me because he's a high priest over Israel. And Paul is still an Israeli. He's an Israelite. He's still going to honor the high priest. So Paul says, forgive me. I did not know that he was the high priest for the law says you'll not speak evil against the leader of your people. We are taught these things, but we also need to teach what we don't respect. And these value systems need to be drilled into our children. This is why all the controversy with all the children's programming and all the stuff Disney's cranking out is so factual and dangerous because they're teaching children when we're too lazy to supervise their entertainment, what is normal. If it's normal, it can be accepted. When Peppa Pig has two boys or two daddies, or I don't know if Peppa Pig has two dads, I don't know. When your Disney shows are now promoting a lot of perverse lifestyles, the kids are coming to accept it as normal. Even the young generation is telling mom and dad, I don't see what your problem is. This is totally normal. Half my friends are non-binary. This is normal. What is your deal, mom and dad? Now, again, the creation is telling the creator, mom and dad, you're stupid. Say, listen here, sweetie. This was all made up junk 10 years ago when Facebook went really viral. Nobody believed this. Not even the journalists believed this 10 years ago. You're a child. You can't even drive without my permission. And you're going to tell me I don't know what I'm talking about? We need to make sure we're guarding our children and instilling in them the scriptures day in and day out. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, God is asking this question. A son honors his father. Why could he say that? Because that was their culture. That was taught. And a servant honors his master. Well, that was culture. That was taught. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? So God's asking this question. You've been taught to fear fathers and you've been taught to fear masters. You've lost your fear for me. We need to make sure we don't make this mistake in our own lives. We need to make sure that we teach our family, our kids, our grandkids. We honor God above everything. That was the famous saying of Peter and John. We ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than the teacher. We ought to obey God rather than the politician. We ought to obey God rather than the corrupt dictator. We ought to obey God. Now, we're not going to go burn a city down in rebellion, but we ought to obey God rather than. But God has to be more real to us. That has to be our value system. It has to be God, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus has to be the real thing to our families. It has to be the real thing to us. We're watching Christians deny the faith because they're slowly taking their value and honor away from God and putting it in the popularity of modern man. I somehow stumbled upon a YouTube channel uh, because I've been doing a lot of Hebrew studies of stuff. I watch YouTube for other stuff. I don't don't want you to think I'm that so spiritual that I only look at rabbis on YouTube. (laughs) But I, I happened upon a video. So I've watched about four or five of this guy's videos and he's very erudite. He's very 
intellectual. And about the third video, I realized you're sowing discord against Scripture. You're going into the Hebrew. You're looking at Scripture. It looks like he's trying to bring illumination. It took me three videos to realize you're a heretic. You're an apostate. And the factual nuggets you're feeding me, I'm able to say, this isn't right. But he looks like he's trying to bring out further revelation from the Scripture, but all he's doing is undermining the validity of Scripture, undermining interpretation, undermining uh, maybe the, the political agenda behind male and female or rib when the word isn't rib, it's half. And maybe you would interpret rib if you have a socialist or a, a, a sexist misogynistic agenda. Like every translation translates it as rib, moron. Anyway, we need to be sharp. We need to know the Bible. Your heart and your value system is up for grabs. And the fact that the church is shrinking demonstrates most Christians are not rooted enough in the word to stand against the propaganda. Now, let me show you two more verses, and I think we can land this message. Go back to 1 Samuel. Let me bring this a little bit closer to home for us and then show you the bigger picture of what's going on in the earth today. 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is a passage we use when we teach on honor quite a bit. This is the passage that gives us the, the doctrinal framework to make sure we hate what God hates, we love what God loves, we honor what God honors, and we dishonor what God honors, and we don't confuse the two. We have to make sure we're in line with history. We don't follow Hillary Clinton's doctrine, which says, I want to be on the right side of history. No, I don't care anything about history. History is written by the victor and rewritten by the Marxist. That's all you need to know about history. It's written by the victor and rewritten by the Marxist propagandist. That's history. Is there some truth out there? Sure. But it's never the whole story. There's some good academic research, and then most of it is not. It's all politically biased in this day and age. Everybody will go find a nugget of history and try to throw it to their slant to prove something. Amen. <laughs> Same with journalism. I'm not interested in being on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of God. Because in the end, God scrubs all history, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, and we just move on. First Samuel chapter 2, this is the story of Eli the priest. He's in trouble with God because he has not stood true to God's commandments or God's standard. He has favored his children over his God. This is where we all get in trouble. When we have partial judgment because that's my baby, that's my princess, that's my baby boy, that's my baby girl. And so God asks this question to Eli, verse 27. There came a man of God unto Eli, the high priest, and he said unto him, Thus says the Lord, Did I plainly appear into the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? The answer is yes, you did plainly appear. And, I did, uh, and did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon my altar to burn incense? Yes. To wear an ephod before me? Yes. And did I give unto the house of your father all the offerings made by the fire of the children of Israel? Yes. He's saying, I've honored you. I've honored you. I've honored you. I've honored your grandfather, your great-grandfather. Your last name has been honored. You're a high priest. That's your lineage. I've honored you, honored you, honored you, honored you, honored you. God has shown this man's family and his lineage honor. That's the implication. That's what he's pointing out. Verse 29, why then did you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation? And why have you honored your sons above me? Now, to kick at the offerings means he dishonored 
the honor God gave him. How did he dishonor those offerings? Well, they embezzled it. They, they, they would use it as a bribe. They didn't honor the offerings in the way God intended. They took it upon them for selfish gain. And then what's worse than that, he says, you've honored your sons above me to make yourselves fat. Now, this is, literally means they got obese eating that offering. The offerings were the calves and the goats and the birds and whatever was left over, they were allowed to eat, and that's what they fed themselves in. It's not a figure of speech here to say you prospered. You got obese with these offerings. And he said, you made yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord of God says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The Hebrew is both words are the same. The King James translates it to mix it up. They that despise me shall be despised. So this is where we get the spiritual principle. If we honor God, he will honor us. We're going to honor God in the face of wokeism. We're going to honor God in the face of alphabet soupism. We're going to honor God in the face of uh, ridicule. We're going to honor God in the face of whatever propaganda. We're going to honor God. You guys believe that? That's so racist. That's so transphobic. Whatever they're going to throw at us. It doesn't matter what you preach. They're going to hurl some kind of middle school insult at you. And I'm going to say, look, it's the Bible. I speak for God. I don't make this up. You can read it for yourself if you want to read it. We're going to honor God above anything because we want God to honor us. Can you imagine trying to exist in the earth today with God despising you? He said, those that despise me, I will despise. What does that even look like to a family? What does that look like to an individual? What does it look like to a church when God no longer honors the church, but now despises the church? Remember God told the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, I'm on the outside knocking. Please let me in. How many churches do you think God still sits on the outside of Knox and says, hey, preacher, let me in. Hey, congregation, let me in. If you'll let me in, I'll come and sup. We can have fellowship. I'll tell you what to do next. Churches are despising God, so he's going to despise them back because you reap what you sow. This comes back to us evaluating the honor system. What are we honoring? Do we honor what God honors? Do we honor what our culture honors? If you spend more time on social media, more time on the news, more time on whatever your entertainment website is, or even uh, YouTube, you'll slowly have your honor system pillaged. You'll slowly have your honor system pillaged. It's very fascinating because the LGBTQ thing, that's this big movement that we're facing. It is no coincidence. The book of Daniel says the Antichrist will have no love for women, which most theologians means he's a homosexual or maybe he's a eunuch and just is not interested in anything. I, for probably 15 years, there's been a couple movie sites I would go to to follow movie news, movie production. And over the last seven or eight years, I watched them go from being like movie nerdy stuff to now woke. By woke, I mean progressive agenda, everything unbiblical, everything free choice, blah, blah, blah. It's interesting that even a blog that is just movie news now becomes a political outlet so that when you read these stories, you feel like the idiot because you don't agree with the story. Right. And everything's spoken as though we've all believed this for the last thousand years of human history. And who are you to not believe with what we just published on our blog? And you can feel it begin to work on you to change your faith and slowly get you to divest from God. Even the biggest named Christians in the industry will slowly succumb and bend their knee to the progressive movement. And they'll all of a sudden have to start saying and making apologies for their faith. I don't apologize for my faith. Amen. You owe God an apology. I don't apologize for my faith. 
I'm going to believe in the scripture. This book here, this Bible of ours, has built civilizations. It has created the most affluent nations in human history. It doesn't need apologies. It might need exegesis. It might need hermeneutics, but it doesn't need an apology. This is nothing like today's professor's manual that must be updated and edited every two years because, oops, we made a mistake. And this Bible here, this thing has been uh, recovered twice. Still hasn't cost as much as one of my college textbooks. Isn't it amazing? Feels like a racket, doesn't it? $400 for a textbook that you got to buy a new one of in two years because, oh, we found a mistake. Because better research came out that we swore on a stack of Bibles that we don't believe in, that the first edition was solid and it was science. We were wrong. We had to omit a chapter. Then we found out that professor was embezzling money, taking bribes to skew their research. Nope, I'm still working with the same Bible. This, this is a Bible. This is actually my third version of this Bible. This Bible I've had since 2002. So this Bible's 21 years old for me. It hasn't come up with a new edition. They didn't release any upgrades. I didn't have to download any updates. Version 2.4.5.7. It still holds its battery charge, too. I'm the one that has trouble staying awake sometimes, like some of you in my services. Malachi, no, no, first, what I want to go to, Isaiah 5. All right, here's where we need to start to land this. We need to evaluate our honor in our homes and towards our spouses. We need to evaluate our honor towards our mom and dad. When you honor somebody, you don't lie to them. When you honor somebody, you're excited to talk to them. You're just very honest with them. You know, extreme honor, what we call is you fanboy, you fangirl. You're just like, oh, oh, oh my goodness, I get to meet you. I'm standing by you. I, I get to see you. That's an honor system. I, I've told, I've met celebrities like anybody else, I think, who travels. I've, I've seen people be chased for uh, autographs, and I have no idea who they are. And honestly, not even care. A couple, uh, two years ago, we were in the Dallas airport, and I was at Chili's with uh, one of my kids, and we sat by the whole Minnesota Wild hockey team. And I was like, that's the Minnesota Wild. And I kept looking for Ryan Suter because he should be on the team. Like, not Ryan, not Ryan, not Ryan. All these guys, who, I don't know who they are. But I'm looking for Ryan Suter because I have his autograph. He used to play for the Preds. That guy would mean something to me. And I should have said, is Ryan Suter? And he probably got traded, not even on the team anymore. That would make me look like a bigger idiot. But I was like, we're sitting here, and then we have the Minnesota Wild hockey team on their way to play Vegas uh, all around us. And it was kind of cool, but none of them were my players, so I didn't really care. But you could tell, well, none of the fact that their bags had Minnesota Wild, but they all were really muscular and had that slick back little Canadian mullet thing going that hockey players do. <laughs> But I've been on airplanes, and I sat behind a, a guy for the Titans, and he was traveling with his wife and his baby. He was in first class. I was right behind first class, and everybody was wanting his picture. So I was right behind them getting out, and people on the jetway stopped to get his picture. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Who are you, man? He said, I, I play for the Titans. I said, oh, that's awesome. What's your name? <laughs> so then I text Eddie. I said, Eddie, do you know this guy? And Eddie, who's a big Titans fan, said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I was by him on the airplane, talked to him. Eddie appreciated it. I didn't know who the guy was. No honor. Yeah. I wasn't dishonorable, but you're nothing to me because I don't know who you are. Yeah. I don't mean to be rude, but everybody wants your autograph but me because I don't know who you are. Yeah. But there have been times I've sat by people. I said, you are so-and-so. We were in Mexico on a vacation a couple years ago at this inclusive thing. And the lady at the table right behind us 
she was there with a girlfriend. It wasn't a girlfriend situation, just two girls traveling. And she looked just like the actress Lucy Liu. And uh, I kept telling Amanda, that's got to be Lucy Liu, because I know who that actress is. So I went over to her. I said, ma'am, I don't mean to interrupt you. I said, does anybody ever tell you? She said, I look like Lucy Liu. I said, yeah, I hear that all the time. She said, actually, my last name is Liu. She said, but it's not Lucy. And even to this day, I think that probably was her, and that was her deflection. Because I'm telling you, she looked just, even had the freckles like Lucy Liu has. But I was like, that probably was Lucy Liu. And then there's this other guy, Tony Hawk, who's a famous skateboarder. He posts videos of people going up to him and saying, anybody ever tell you you look like Tony Hawk? And it is the real Tony Hawk. He's like, you know, I hear that from time to time. (laughs) Anyway, what do you honor? Do you honor the house of God? When you do, it's not hard to come here. It's not hard to sacrifice for what you honor, and you can tell what you honor by how you sacrifice. When you honor that girl, you'll drive across the state to have 30 minutes of coffee with her. When she's that old hag, that old ball and chain that you've been married to for 20 years, you're like, honey, I'm sorry, I can't even meet you for lunch. No, I'm sorry. Well, you work next door, like in our house. She works five feet underneath. I'm sorry, honey. Not that she's my old ball and chain or hag, but... You get the point. (laughs) Moving right along. You get the point. (laughs) You can tell where your honor lies by what you sacrifice for. Like, I'm a conservative, but I don't care enough about Republicans to ever make the sacrifice to go to a political rally. All those folks that line up for Trump rallies, good Lord of mercy, come on. You want to talk about cult of personality? And then it's evident nobody honors Biden because there's like four people there and three of them are reporters. The other guy's there to sweep up early. So nobody honors that party either. But folks will always sacrifice for where they've placed their value. Always will. So Isaiah 5, we need to be evaluating our honor system. This weekend we honor our war fallen, but we have folks that will burn an American flag because their mother did not love them enough not knowing that somebody's son died, that they would have the retarded motivation to burn a flag. That kid died in Guam. That kid died in Iraq. That kid died in Vietnam. That kid died at Iwo Jima. That kid died at Nagasaki or wherever so that you could be some pierced weirdo burning a flag without any ramifications or repercussions. Doesn't seem fair, does it? But it shows you where your value system is. Our freedom is you can value what you want doesn't make it honorable, but you can still honor what you want. Isaiah chapter 5. Here's the problem we're living in, and here's what God has to say about it. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put dark, darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is the inversion of God's value system. That's what this symbolizes. When you start dishonoring what God honors and start honoring what God dishonors, you're putting evil for good, darkness for light, bitter for sweet. And our whole culture, because as the saying says, if America sneezes, the world catches a cold. As it goes with America, so it will go with the rest of the world. America has now exceeded Europe in secularism. Because Europe's always demonstrated self-control. America has no self-control. So anything we do, we do into the nth degree, and then we make a blog about it. And we'll become a TikTok star over it. We, we have now exceeded the world in perversion and gross wickedness. And we're calling it normal. And we're saying science backs it up. 
This is putting evil for good, light for darkness, bitter for sweet. And we're marketing it as though God honors it. But God says, woe, woe unto them. We would say it this way. Don't let anybody change your biblical value system. Stay in the scriptures. Stay in the word of God. Stay in prayer. Find Bible verses that tell you what is right and what is wrong. God is so faithful to show us what is holy and what is unholy, what is just and what is unjust. You may have to do more than just watch Joel Osteen. You may actually have to study the thing for yourself. But the truth is in the Bible, and it's not hard to find if you're interested. Verse 21, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. They justify the wicked for reward. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root, and that's what's critical, their root shall be as rottenness and their, uh, their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That is the issue. If we get moved off the law of God, however you want to call that, scripture, doctrine, commandments, because the New Testament has a lot of laws for us. And if you get moved off of the word of God, then our roots will become as rottenness and our blossoms shall be as dust and will be left but something to be burned. Verse 25, therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people. That means church people. And he has stretched forth his hand against them and has smitten them and the hills did tremble and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. Israel walked away from God's precepts. They changed evil to good, good to evil. They changed light into darkness, darkness into light. They changed sweetness into bitterness and bitterness into sweetness. And they only did it because they left the word of God. You and I are not going to leave the word of God. If somebody says, well, what do you think about this? Your answer should be, the Bible says. That way they can't attack you. They have to attack a 2,000-year-old text that has built empires and enriched civilizations. I think this is interesting. One of my researches on Judaism that I've been doing lately, my numbers aren't 100% right, so just bear with me here. In the history of the Nobel Prize, which gives awards to science, etc. I think it's 18% of the Nobel Prize winners have been Jews. Jews are 0.2% or 2% of the world's population, 0.2% of the world's population. Yet they take 18% of the Nobel Prizes, which shows you the influence of the law of God on the intellect. The another 80% or 75% were Christians. Which leaves, you know, 10% for other. Another. It shows you how powerful the Word of God is. Whether the law of Moses to the Jews, who are still brilliant minds to this day, or to the Christians today, if they're not snuffed out by false academics. You and I have to be careful that we keep our heart honoring the things of God. Be willing to judge anything you value and see what the Word of God will do to it. See what you put before God. See what you put out of line with God's Word. Because if we want God to honor us, we have to honor what He honors. If we would like to court the despisings of God, just despise what He loves. It's not a hard 
judgment to make or adjustment to make. I want God's hand upon me and my family. I want my kids to grow up and be better than me and my wife. But it's not going to happen if I'm disobeying the word of God in my private life. And let me show you the fickleness. I was just uh, uh, talking with a pastor in Ireland, Pastor Brown. The fickleness of our heart to honor. This is Memorial Day weekend. One of the things the European, excuse me, the British do. I shouldn't say the British. Yeah, well, the British. For, and they, this is their season as well for Memorial Day. And I don't know all the culture of it. You can look it up and I won't be accurate. But one of the things the British do is they like to give red poppy flowers to honor the war dead. Apparently that's an American thing. We don't do it. But the British really took off with it. So uh, they give a red poppy in memory of the war dead to remember all the lives that were laid down. So they value that thing very greatly. In fact, uh, Pastor Parker, uh, our dear friend in Iceland, who's British, he's a, a royalist and he's, he's British through and through and through and through. Married an Irish girl. So that makes him doubly UK, I guess, because the Irish are not British or English. You have English, altogether British Empire, United Kingdom, Scottish. Anyway, it's complicated. And then there's the Welsh in there. Ooh. It's exhausting to think about. They all have different accents and different opinions. That's why the Union Jack is a combination of all their flags, if you didn't know that. Which is pretty cool. That's why it's called the Union Jack. It's a binary because there's no Union Jane. Anyway, so one of the things, Pastor, that's, that's Pastor Parker. He's in England. So Pastor Gary Brown is in Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, but it's on a different island. The Irish Island is made up of Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic, two different countries. Irish Republic is the Irish Republic, and Northern Ireland is part of the UK. All right, so that's complicated too. Pastor Gary Brown rejects the poppy, the red poppy. It's offensive to him. And I was texting him this morning, and I said, did you tell me you guys don't do the red poppy flower to commemorate the war dead? Tomorrow's our Memorial Day. And I saw an article about trying to make the poppy more popular in America. He said, yes, very much so. The poppies are sold all, in all shops and schools, etc., close to that time of year. I said, are the poppies divisive for you guys? I'm trying to figure out why some Brits do it and others don't. He said, yes, the Catholics in Northern Ireland love them and North Ireland won't wear them. The Northern Irish. So because one group of people value the red poppy and they're divisive along religious lines, the other folks won't do them. And so whereas something is holy and sacred and honorable and a river over, and that's a river, but part of the ocean over to the north, in this part of the country, it's so divisive. If you're going to be a good Christian, you can't even acknowledge the red poppies, which is awesome or weird. Because both these men are holy men of God that I love. One man, love. one man loves me, sends me a poppy. It's on my refrigerator. The other guy says, we don't touch them with a 10-foot pole because they're offensive. And all of it's a matter of the heart. Because the poppy's neither here nor there unless you're making opium. Then it's really going to get you out there. <laughs> I love it when the athletes test for opium. Like, I had a lot of poppy seed muffins. Like, no, you don't need that many poppy seed muffins to test positive for heroin. I think you're on heroin. <laughs> Anyway, our heart can learn to honor something as quickly as we need to. And case in point, last, my last point, if you're sitting next to somebody on an airplane 
and you're just talking to them like they're nothing, just a human being. And then all of a sudden you find out they're an ambassador or you find out they were the president's personal aide or you find out they invented this or they invented that. All of a sudden your esteem for them bumps up and you might even move in your seat and say, what? What? Tell me more about that. Or you can find out there's somebody, let's take politics. You find out they're the personal aide for Donald Trump. That could absolutely turn you off and you'd be absolutely disgusted and turned the other way. Whereas before you were respectful. You just went from baseline honor to dishonor. Or you can find out they were the presidential aide for your favorite president and all of a sudden you're hanging on every word asking them more questions. Honor can be activated or deactivated just like that. That's how fickle and stupid our heart is or how powerful our heart can be harnessed. We don't have an excuse. If God says honor him, yes, sir. If God says dishonor that, yes, sir. If God says stand on my word, yes, sir. If God says hate sin, yes, sir. If we can do it for mere flesh and blood because they hold some kind of place in our cultural zeitgeist, why can't we do it for the things of God? Please don't let Yahoo News or Breitbart or BuzzFeed or YouTube build your doctrine or your value system. That is news written by 23-year-olds who were not held or loved by anybody 15 years ago. And you want to trust their news feed? Not at all. We're going to stick with this Bible that built empires and prophesied history to come and accurately so. Amen?